Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 168, Transfigurations. Greetings, fellow babies, and welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. On Mission Log, we talk Trek. Star Trek? Examining it for deep meanings and interesting points we can fold into our daily lives this week. Transfigurations. Oh, you're going to do a magic trick. No, 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 no. That's the, the name of the episode. It's Transfigurations. That's a bummer. Yeah, we're an audio show. You could just tell people that you're doing a magic trick. I, I did a magic trick. <laughs> well, I don't think anybody's going to believe it now. I think, oh. though, if you had, like I said, Hey, you're going to do a magic trick, and you might have said, Hey, Ken, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. <laughs> right. Anyway, and then, again. And then people would be like, Oh, wow, John's going to do a <sighs> Now they're just going to do their show, though. Which, of course, has various you know pieces and parts that we put in certain orders. Like, this is normally the part where I would say, if you would like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can give us a call, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. So if this were a normal show, that's the part of the show where I would say all that stuff. And then this would be the part of the show where John would do trivia. Magic trivia for you, Ken. Uh, today's show was written by Rene Echeverria, and we remember Rene from The Offspring, which was his spec script that he wrote for The Next Generation. Michael Pillar got in touch with him again. They had a story they weren't entirely sure what to do with, and he was charged with rewriting it. So Rene got it into shape, and then Pillar and the others of the writing staff finalized it. Now, the episode was directed by Tom Benko. Tom is primarily an editor. He worked as an assistant editor on the original Battlestar Galactica, then cut his teeth on shows like Police Squad and MacGyver before moving over to Star Trek The Next Generation, where he started from the beginning with Encounter at Farpoint. This episode marks his professional directorial debut. He wears many hats, so we'll see his name pop up a couple more times in different capacities on Star Trek. Um, that final look at John Doe, the glowing orange thing. Uh, so that was a practical effect done with a full body suit and a highly reflective kind of neon color. So when the film was processed, it could get that effect. Um, if you're wondering how that happens, another example of a similar, though not the same effect, can be seen in the Kryptonian costumes in the first Superman movie. Those are done with the material used for movie screens that reflects a lot of light. Now let's talk about guest stars. Julie Warner returns as Geordie's crush, Henshaw. She was introduced in a little episode called Booby Trap. I'm sorry, uh, called what? It's, oh, it, it was called, uh, it's called Booby Trap. Booby Trap. Booby Trap. Doesn't ring a bell. Okay. Uh, we talked about her showing up later in shows like Family Law, Nip Tuck, Party of Five, and the Michael J. Fox movie Doc Hollywood. Now we do have a Nurse Temple here kind of uh, a 
Tip of the Hat to Nurse Chapel, played by Patty Tippo. This is her only Star Trek appearance, but she has some great credits in other genre and fan favorite productions. The movie Ed Wood, which is one of my all-time favorites, Mad Men, Iron Giant, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, and she was a recurring character on Sledgehammer, our second cop show parody mentioned for this week's trivia. Charles Dennis plays Commander Sunad. That name, by the way, is story editor Richard Dennis's name spelled backwards. He's the guy who wrote Deja Q, did the teleplay for, um, oh, what was it, uh, Booby Trap. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, he did. All right. And uh, Charles Dennis was born in Canada, worked as a child actor, and also worked as the youngest drama critic for the Toronto Telegram, starting there at the age of 17. He is a novelist, a playwright, a host, and if that isn't enough, he's got plenty of film and TV credits as an actor, too, starting with an uncredited role in Patton, then shows like Law and Order, uh, tons of voice work in Star Wars, uh, video games and uh, animated and a bit of Star Trek, an appearance in 2001, A Space Travesty, and he will be back for one more on-camera appearance in Star Trek as well. And finally, Mark Lemura as John Doe. Mark has made a number of appearances in soap operas, All My Children, As the World Turns, One Life to Live, and he also shows up in the usual places, Law and Order, just just all the law and order. There's a bunch of them. Uh, he's also appeared in Kojak, Matlock, 30 Rock, and other shows that don't end with the letter K. Meet John Doe was a Frank Capra movie made in 1941. Today, we will meet a different John Doe. Prologue. The Enterprise is doing some star charting or something. Things are moving kind of slow. And Worf and Geordi are sitting in 10-4 doing what Geordi does, talking over his problems with women. Worf's like, you gotta be all grrr, to which Geordi replies, but I'm all squeak, squeak. Interestingly, the woman Geordi is interested in is Christy Henshaw, the one who spurned Geordi's advances in the episode with holodeck Leah Brahms. Only this time, she's obviously into Geordi. And he's still blowing it. Do we see a holodeck Christy Henshaw in Geordi's future? This moment of embarrassment suspended due to a call from Commander Riker. Riker, Geordi, Dr. Crusher, and Lieutenant Commander Data are headed down to a planet to check out a one-person wreck. Small ship, fading life signs. On the planet, they find a bloody mess of a guy sort of pinned in the wreckage of the one-man ship. Dr. Crusher says he's too unstable to transport. They'll need to hook up the victim's brain to someone else's brain to sort of stabilize it. Should not cause a problem for Geordi, who volunteers, and it doesn't really cause a problem, though he does take a sort of energy jolt to the forehead when the link is made. He says he's fine, and Dr. Crusher beams them up to sickbay as we head to the opening credits. Act 1. Beverly is in sickbay, med-teching the med-tech. It's like teching the tech, but with living things. On the bridge, Riker tells Picard that it looks like what they found is an escape pod. A quick survey of the space around the planet shows, yeah, evidence of phaser fire and debris of what could be a larger ship from which the pod escaped. Riker says all they found to the ship was this weird piece of machinery, small enough to fit in one hand. I guess he's not counting the escape pod as technology they found. Data says it'll take time to figure out what it is and what it does, and he'll get on that. Back in sick bay, Geordi has been cleared to return to duty. Nothing negative in his bioscan. Geordi says he could have told the doctor that. He feels great. 
Also doing great is the guy they found on the planet. Crusher says she never thought he would survive this long. She tells Picard that the guy has amazing recuperative powers. His body is repairing itself at a phenomenal rate. All of his cells are regenerating, mutating, even the ones that weren't damaged in whatever happened. In 10-4, Geordi, Data, and Worf are talking over the mystery tech on which Data is supposed to be working. Well, Geordi and Data are. Worf is annoyed. They're supposed to be relaxing. Geordi argues that he is relaxing. In fact, he's never felt better, but... Hello, is that Christy Henshaw glancing Geordi's way? In the blink of an eye, Geordi has invited himself on Christy's stroll through the Arboretum. Worf takes credit for Geordi's sudden success with the lady. In sickbay, the alien, we're calling him John Doe now, is doing remarkably. Within 36 hours, all of his systems have regenerated. And he's awake. And he's talking. He thanks Beverly for saving his life. Now, just one question. Who am I? Act 2. John Doe's recovery is going exceedingly well. He's about six weeks ahead of where Dr. Crusher thought he'd be at this point. It'll take him a bit of time to get good at walking again, though. He's been mostly immobile for about a month. He toddles about sick bay a bit. Yeah, learning motor control will take some time. In the meantime, he tells Captain Picard that he's still got the amnesia thing going. His memories begin the moment he woke up in sick bay. He has no memory of the escape pod, nor of the bigger ship from which he apparently escaped. There is one concern... He gets these sharp pains now and again. Nothing to do with the injuries, though. Dr. Crusher believes it's something to do with the genetic mutation she spotted earlier. In the turbo lift, Geordi and Christy Henshaw are making out. She leaves, Riker enters, and notes the budding relationship. Geordi says he's felt kind of awesome for the past month. Something sure has changed. Riker says what's changed is Geordi. And Geordi agrees. In sickbay, Transporter Chief O'Brien comes in, clutching his arm. He's dislocated his shoulder on the holodeck. Dr. Crusher goes to get the medical equipment to make it all better, though while she's gone, John Doe tells O'Brien that everything will be fine. Then he lays a hand on the injured shoulder and makes it all better. Not only is the pain gone, but Dr. Crusher's tricorder indicates that the injury is completely healed. John says he doesn't know what he did. It was just instinct. Over dinner, the family crusher is talking over John's healing touch. Beverly says she can't find anything about him that should give him such powers, yet there they are. Wes says he likes John, and he thinks his mom likes John, too. Like, likes John, likes him. She says her feelings for John aren't romantic, exactly. It's more like a spiritual connection, she feels. On the bridge, remember that thing Picard had earlier? The alien tech from the escape pod? Geordi's finally figured it out. It's a navigational chart. A holy alien nav chart. Eventually, they are able to figure out where John Doe is from. Yay! Well, you'd think yay, though John tells the captain, you must not take me home. He still doesn't know why he left, and he still doesn't know what happened to the others he suddenly remembers, but he does know that Picard cannot take him back. Not yet. Picard says it'll be three weeks before they get back to his planet anyway, They'll try to work things out by then. Picard and Beverly leave, just missing another of John's spells. This time he experiences pain and pulses with energy before regaining control. Act 3. In 10-4, John Doe is finally getting a look at the ship outside of sickbay. He's amazed by the various different types of people able to work together. It is new to him. Despite not remembering his people, he's pretty sure they're different in that respect. John feels like he's on the verge of something, though. Yesterday, during the spell Beverly and Picard missed, during that energy pulse, 
For one terrifying moment, his purpose seemed clear. Then it was gone. Beverly figures that's tied somehow to the cell mutation he's experiencing. She wishes she could help him more, though he says she's already done so much. Both acknowledge how much they prize the relationship they've built. In fact, John seems to indicate that he would like to take it further, but he knows that he's on some kind of journey, that all of the changes are part of that journey, and that has to come before all else. On the bridge, Worf has spotted a ship headed their way. He can't ID it, but it's coming in hot, traveling at warp 9.72. It's not responding to hails, but at its current rate of speed, it'll be on them in about 10 hours. In sickbay, John's having another of his spells, and it's a painful one. He says he has to get off the ship, and he runs out of sickbay to a shuttle bay. He tries to steal a shuttlecraft, though Worf gets the drop on him. Or tries to. John has another one of his spells, one that pushes Worf away. Over a railing, down to the shuttle bay platform, one story below. And Worf dies. Broken neck, no life signs. He's dead, listener. Good thing there's an alien with healing powers on board. He does the laying of hands thing. And Worf is better. Completely. Act 4. In his ready room, Picard is reading John Doe the Riot Act. Trying to steal a shuttlecraft. Indeed! Still, he acknowledges the part where John healed Worf, which is why they're talking in his ready room instead of in the brig. John still doesn't know what's going on with him, though he is afraid. He knows that whatever's happening is dangerous to everyone around him, and he has to get away. Dr. Crusher, Picard, and John are hashing out their next move when they're interrupted by a call from the bridge. The alien vessel is entering weapons range, and its shields are up. They head to the bridge, where Geordi stops John. He thanks John for whatever power John transferred to him at the wreckage site, though John says he doubt he can take credit for that. Perhaps he just showed Geordi something that Geordi had all along. When their two ships are face-to-face, the people aboard the alien vessel finally make contact, and John recognizes their commander immediately. He is Sunad, and that's all John can remember. With audio cut, John tells Picard that he doesn't know how, but he knows that Sunad is dangerous. Audio re-established, Sunad intros himself as a commander from Zalkon. The Enterprise is trespassing, and that guy is our prisoner. Give him back and go away. Thanks for saving his life. We're going to kill him now. He is a disruptive influence. He spreads lies. He encourages dissent. He disturbs the natural order of our society. You got two hours to turn him over to us. Assessing the situation, the opposing ship is about as strong as the Enterprise, where weapons and shields are concerned, and about as fast and maneuverable as well. Counselor Troy says she is sure the Zalconians are willing to kill John. They hate him. But there's something else. They fear him, too. Troy, Riker, Picard, Dr. Crusher, and John go to talk over their options. John's memory is still on the blank. He can't say whether Sunad's accusations are true. He doesn't think he's a criminal... But he won't put the Enterprise in danger either. If it comes to it, he will surrender. But he thinks there's more than his own life at stake here. There's still something important he has to do. His survival is vital. And with that, Picard dismisses John so he and his officers can discuss the matter further. Picard believes John that his life has broader ramifications than that of a simple criminal. And Troy says Sunad believes that too. Sure, there's Zalconian laws to consider, but Crusher is incredulous. Did she really save John's life so the Zalconians could kill him? Act 5. 
It's a face-off between Sunad and Picard. Picard makes the usual Federation peace overture, though Sunad says the Zalconians don't want to be friends. They want their prisoner and for the Enterprise to leave. Picard says fine, but he'd like to know why. Why does John have to die? Sunad says that's none of Picard's business, and Picard agrees, though he says there are extenuating circumstances, like John's sudden ability to heal other beings with a touch, and his ability to bring people back from the dead. Sunad says it's all lies, that John has corrupted the Enterprise as well, and with that, he force chokes everyone on the Federation ship. Now, it's not the force, the subordinate does something with the machine, but the effect is the same. Every living thing on the Enterprise goes down. Unable to breathe. Every living thing, that is, except John. He heals Beverly with a touch. He heals a guy in a corridor with a touch. Then he heals everyone on the Enterprise by touching a control panel. And now he remembers who and what he is. He and Beverly hit the bridge in time to hear Sunad order the ship to fire on the Enterprise. That order is sort of belayed by John waving his hand and instantly transporting Sunad from his bridge to Picard's. Sanad tells Picard to kill John. He is dangerous! Though John says that's not true. John, as it happens, is the next step in Zelconian evolution. His people are on the verge of a transmutation beyond the physical. And he'll be the first to go. The authorities saw the transmutants as a threat to society and killed them when they could, telling them and anyone else that the changes were harmful. A disease. John says they were terrified of something they couldn't understand. And with that, John is transformed. He is energy. He is light. He offers to show Sunad the way, though Sunad says, Don't touch me! Fine, says John, but others will follow now that you cannot stop me. Then John sends Sunad back to his ship, which beats a hasty retreat. John thanks the crew of the Enterprise for all that they've done, though Picard says the honor was theirs, to have witnessed the emergence of a new life form. John expresses particular gratitude for Beverly's help and particular sorrow at leaving her. Then he's gone. The end. He's one of the guys from Cocoon. We're, we're, a, we're a Wilfred Brimley away from having Cocoon. You see, it's interesting that you say he's one of the guys from Cocoon because uh, what my wife said when we were watching it is, and now I must leave you and go root for my local sports team. Starman? Huh? No, no, those guys in the body socks at all the, uh, at all the, uh, you know, the things. At all the, like, if you ever watch a basketball game or a hockey, like in playoffs, they don't sure, do it much yeah. of regular hockey. Guys, guys in body socks in like whatever color of their team. Oh, it, see, I have I, you really never seen that? I know. I busted a gut when she said that seriously, <laughs> it's, it, and there are people watching this right now going, "Oh, please stop!" <laughs> Mission log sports fans. Which all, I imagine that there, there are several. There are several. You, you, you are half of them. Yeah, I, I disagree <laughs> with that. I think there are plenty of hockey fans listening, and they've, they've watched the playoffs. Even if they're not regular season hockey fans, they've watched the playoffs. Then you'll see a guy. Seriously, you'll see. You, you, just watch a game. Watch a Golden State Warriors game. I can almost guarantee. Or actually, hockey is better. Watch a hockey game. Okay. Because what yeah, happens is they put somebody in the penalty box, and then there will seriously be one or two guys in body socks practically hanging off the glass of the penalty box. <laughs> and they're just, they're wearing like the full thing, sort they're, of like the if full... Andy Serkis shows up on set wearing yes, a, a, yes. a green screen yes. ready outfit. Ping pong balls not included, but yes, no, they are, they're no. ready to go. They're ready to step in as Gollum or, or Snoke or, or King Kong or whatever it is Andy Serkis <laughs> is playing this week. They're wow. ready to be that thing. Yes. 
That's seriously, I, I, I am so sorry that that joke passed you by because you would have, you also would have busted a gut. I feel certain it didn't. It didn't pass by the others, the the sports fans. I know that that other that other mission log fan, yeah, <laughs> also right. a sports fan. Right. Okay, Jordy. Yeah, it's terrible advice from Worf, and it, it's so charming to see Worf be so clueless about so much. I figured if you can fool the guy with prune juice, yeah. you can fool him enough to think that his advice is valued by the rest of the crew. And yet he sees it work. <laughs> yeah. Well, he thinks he sees it work. And that's, you know, that's, that's probably enough. Yeah. He's, he's kind of clueless. It's sort of charming that, that Worf is that clueless. It makes you wonder about his ability to do his job. He's not. He's no, that, he's that's not fair. Him. He's clueless about relation, about romantic relationships between humans and humans. He's not clueless just in general. No, he's not clueless in general. But right. what, what I'm saying is that he, he can be easily fooled. Like you just sort of act like, oh, yeah, hey, thanks, Worf. That's great. Thanks for the advice. Yeah. Uh, go back, stand behind the horseshoe and, uh, you know. We'll, we'll try not to use things like irony around you. Um, now, one thing that we are missing is a huge, massive backstory, missing scenes and everything between the last time we saw Christy Henshaw and now. Jordy could not have gotten that whole thing more wrong the first time that she's around. And now she's back for more and and she likes him. Yeah. Are you saying that there's actual backstory here or are you just saying what the heck? I'm saying what the heck. Okay, she good. Because, yeah. Because I was like, she hadn't, I mean, like, he built the perf, what he thought would be the perfect date for her. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I'm really not into you. I believe she actually said the words, I don't think of you that way. Right. On their romantic date. And now she's like sending all the signals. And I don't blame Jordy for missing all the signals this time because she said pretty clearly, don't think of you that way. Sure. Yeah. She needs yeah. to say at least as clearly, by the way, thinking of you that way now. All right. It seems to me. <laughs> It's so strange. It it's is really odd that uh, that they would do that, and uh, maybe somebody wrote something for another episode that just never made it there to say like, oh yeah, she kind of warmed up to him. But, maybe or wow, I mean, is, is she going? Is she going to become his girlfriend now? Like, is she a recurring character? Mm, I'm afraid not. See, I, it makes yeah. no sense that they would bring her back. Well, one thing we do learn, and I'm really happy to see it, is that Starfleet finally, finally perfected that piece of equipment that, um, you know, the the one that you, you hook it up to a dying patient and you hook it up to somebody else's brain mm -hmm. and uh, and you stabilize them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, well, here's the thing. It, it worked on Gene Wilder and uh, Peter Boyle. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and it's a good thing here that it works on a totally unknown alien species. Yeah. It's and too bad, though, they invented it two weeks too late for um, Sarek. Oh, because you remember they had to heal like train brain, uh, trade brains, excuse me, with a uh, Picard mm -hmm. or a trade, yeah. not, not trade brains, but he had to basically inhabit Picard's brain because that's the yeah. only way you're going to keep him stable. And then like, you know, they pulled into their next port. Probably it was when Sarek was getting off that they were like, oh, we got this new box of things that let you sort of stabilize somebody else's brain. Ah, <laughs> really? That just got here now? Oh, uh -huh. that's too bad. Yeah. Uh, the scenes in sickbay, though, they, they are good, particularly the opening of the show. There, there's lots of tension. There's a fast pace. And, you know, the guy's arm is just gone and it's cryogenically preserved until they can get it back on. And the makeup is gruesome and, yeah. and wonderful. Um, I didn't realize and, he was an alien. We were in down on the ship, actually. I thought it was just that his face had been turned into, you know, sausage yeah. By, yeah. Uh, by whatever yeah. happened to him. Right. Right. I, I, at the very beginning, I thought that he was human. Yeah. But, 
Yeah. And, and it was interesting that Dr. Crusher says that she wants to design a virus yeah. to get into him to stimulate ATP production, which I thought was really cool because that kind of is a, as of this recording, a very modern kind of cutting edge uh, biological medical idea that you can actually use a virus to do the work for you. Yes. For, yeah, I thought that was really cool. You might even go so far as to say bleeding edge. I mean, it's it's not quite yeah, yeah. it's not quite cutting edge yet. I mean, it's yeah. I, I've I've heard a guy talk about the fact that he has built a virus before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's not something you hear a lot of people talking about a lot of times. So I think I, mean, I know who told you that. Too. Well, yeah, no, I'm, and I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not trying to not name drop. I'm not trying to name drop either. I'm just saying it's not something you hear every day. Sure. Like, I remember when we were kids, John. You remember when we were kids? I do. Yeah. Good, good times, weren't they? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there was actually a point to that. Uh, the Test Tube Baby. 1978, mm-hmm. The Test Tube Baby. And you think about it. But honestly, I thought there was like such a science fiction thing, kind of like The Boy in the Bubble, but different, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, there was such a scientific thing. I mean, such a, like, so far future. And now we don't even, like, you tell kids, oh, yeah, no, the, the Test Tube Baby. And they'd be like, what? That's like me and five of my friends. Right, <laughs> right. And maybe not quite that, you know, not quite that much, but it's, sure. it's interesting to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ten great. years from now, we'll all be making viruses. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, right, right. Um, ten years from now, I think you'll agree with me, less talk, more synthahol. No, right? five minutes from now, I'm agreeing with that. In fact, <laughs> I hereby vote. heard word said that, yeah. That needs to be the next uh, Mission Log t-shirt. Ooh, all right. Like now. Like I yeah, expect it'll be done it by the time first. we stop recording. I mean, yeah, it's, that, okay. that's got to be the next Mission Log t-shirt, I think. Uh, copyright, trademark, all patents pending. Yeah. We've got to pay Michael Dorn or whoever wrote this some money, I guess. <laughs> well, it would be Renee. But yeah, we'll, oh, okay. Yeah, fine. Give him a call. Um, I, I liked seeing uh, Beverly Crusher and uh, John Doe's developing relationship. It, it, was, it was another one of those things where – it worked better when I went back to watch it again, mm-hmm. uh, just because the little subtle choices they do, particularly in the scene when he first stands up and he's kind of stumbling around and, and you're watching at least on my second or third time around watching Beverly sort of really be absorbed by him and by what he's doing. So I like seeing that play out it, and it, it made more sense to the other scenes, the development of their relationship later on. So I thought it was nicely played for the mm-hmm. most part. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Not. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And we can probably come back to that later. Yeah. Guess. There was one other thing that I really liked in this episode mm-hmm. when uh, Jordy and Data are trying to figure out what the, um, the giant gel cap does. And quick aside, right. they pull the guy out of his ship. Right. And then they're like, yeah, this is all we got. Yeah, right. I don't understand. They could have beamed the whole ship up. Well, they could have beamed the whole ship up, yes. Or they could have just like stripped it maybe a little bit longer. It like went inside and they're like, wow, that looks like something we don't understand. So let's take that mm-hmm. and leave the rest of this stuff and we'll just lie. <laughs> but here's the thing. I like the fact that when they're trying to figure out what the giant gel cap does, they, then uh, Jordy, I think it is, or maybe it's Zato, is like, eh, let's not even try to figure out what it does. Let's just plug it in. <laughs> Let's just plug it in and see what it does. And I, I'm kind of like right. that's that's a little that's a little nutty. That's a little on the edge, but I kind of like it. I like that. Uh, I like that idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, for all the things that they have, like say, hooking up Jordy's brain to an alien brain, yeah, or um, being able to beam over to a you know thousand year old ship and just yeah. download logs, you would think that that's one of those things. Like, hey, if we had that ship, we just hook up a computer, a tricorder, or whatever, and. And we'll we'll get some info. It seems like with a with a device like this, you ought to just be able to take it into the holodeck, toss it in, 
Close yeah. the door. See what happens. <laughs> Say go. <laughs> exactly. Just that's, go. That's right. Computer, run, run magic transmutation figuration uh, <laughs> program five. It was a neat idea that that little piece of equipment is uh, the the data is encoded on a cellular level. Yeah, that, that was uh, just kind of a neat idea. And again, like the the idea of using a virus to stimulate ATP production, mm. it, one of those kind of you know bleeding edge future technologies. It's sort of a throwaway. Yeah, in the script, but. 25 years later, you go, oh, wow, this this could be a thing one day. Now, there was entirely too much talking about it um, <laughs> when they were sitting at 10 Ford. And I know that was the joke, of course. And, but then there's even more talking about it yeah. when they're actually there at the bridge station and they just tech the heck out of the tech. And, and did you like the use of the term med teching? The med tech, I loved the that. Yeah. Bravo. Well, it wasn't. I, I assume that wasn't me. Somebody else has to have thought of that at some point. No, but it's well done. And wow. I tell you what, if if anybody's hiring for a new Star Trek, then they need to look no further than you to med tech the med tech. Hold on a second. Is there going to be a new Star Trek? Uh, we can I talk about of. that some other time. Yeah. yeah. Um, Chief O'Brien, <laughs> yeah. kayaking again. Uh, we might see more of that, letting you know now. Um, the dude should not do things that cause physical injury, particularly not over and over again. And, and maybe I thought it was just the sadness of standing alone in the transporter room all day. Maybe his way of getting attention, you know, that, hey, nobody's coming in here to beam anywhere. So I'll go I'll go get hurt on the holodeck right. and then I'll have some human interaction. You think, and, and also, you think he's hurting himself on purpose, really? Maybe not on purpose. Okay. But, you know, the, 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 the silver lining around that cloud is that that humans will talk to him other than just him standing sad and alone oh. see around. I'm not sure that, that could be it though because if Jordy has taught us anything it's easy to make friends on the holodeck <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. well that, that might just be Jordy and Riker <laughs> and, well, and, uh, and uh, Barkley Barkley yeah. yeah yeah also you can get hurt on the holodeck yeah because don't they have when everything's working right it's got the safety protocols well, are they safety protocols or are they mortality fail-safes? Okay, so you can do anything to you but kill you. I would think, well, then risk your life. Well, yeah. I, I'm just thinking that, you know, if Chief O'Brien, a guy who needs the use of his limbs eh, whatever. during his job. I used, to run, I used to run an audio board, dude, and I broke my hand one time. And you know what yeah. I did the next day? I kept running the audio board. <laughs> just used your broken hand. Seriously. You put yourself in a cast yeah, and you go. You play through. I mean, yeah. he's not a surgeon for crying out loud. He's, <laughs> he's running <laughs> faders. Goodness. Yeah, no, I mean, he's running faders on, a, on the transporter. So I would think that even with the dislocated, I mean, it might be painful, but you play through that. This is this is a Starfleet for crying out loud. So wait, he, he's not a surgeon, but he's the guy who regularly dematerializes people on an atomic level. <sighs> well, he doesn't do it on an atomic <laughs> level. He pushes a fader that like does it on an atomic level, right? Okay, fair enough. If he is still able to slide something up a board and slide that thing back down the board, he's pretty much good. He's he's got to turn off weapons too. He can do that. Um, I actually do like the scene between Wesley and Beverly. It's not it's not the best scene they've ever had, but it is nice to see them having an adult conversation about a relatable topic. Yeah. Because so much of dealing with Wesley is just dealing with him being a child, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, and it must also mean that there's definitely not a rule against Starfleet Medical fraternizing with alien patients. She does acknowledge the fact that she is the doctor and he's the patient. 
Sure. Yeah. Of course, you know, he but, is going to get better eventually. Yeah. And then when <laughs> right. he does. Open, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, I also thought that if uh, if that other ship is traveling at warp 9.72, it's as fast as the Enterprise, and it's still 10 hours away from the Enterprise, then the sensors on the Enterprise have got to reach a really long way. Mm-hmm. That I, I did not do the math, but I'm just saying that uh, I'm assuming that the math would show that that is a really long way away. I would imagine so, yeah. And uh, and you mentioned uh, Sunad's weapon against the Enterprise, uh, force choking, cutting the oxygen, whatever. It's a really interesting choice. It, it makes them feel dangerous, um, and, and it raises the question that if they have that much power, why are they just going right after John Doe? Is it my imagination, or did Ken do a snippet of a song from the musical? John Doe, Superstar, in the recap. So, what if John Doe is a symbolic step in human evolution? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I phrase it like that because, again, if, if Star Trek's not real, if aliens in the Star Trek sense aren't real, then, then we have to look at this and say, okay, well, they represent something about humanity, some aspect about humanity. And then we ask, well, what are his qualities? You know, he, he becomes a glowing, shiny energy thing. He can heal people. He can give Geordi a, a personality makeover. Which I wondered if that lasts into the next episode or even you know the next hour after he's gone because, man, the, the guy needed some help. Um, can he do this on his own people mm-hmm. or are, are those skills useless for any of his own kind who have turned into glowing, shiny energy things? Well, nobody's, turned, nobody's turned into a glowing, shining energy thing, though. He's the first. Well, I got the impression that there were others who might have been in the process of turning into shining, glowing energy things, but right. they got stopped by Sunad and his people. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So and uh, the uh, the impression that I got was that he could actually do this to his people because Sunad is used to this all this guff about him being able to heal people and bring people mm-hmm. back from the dead. I mean, he says lies, and he says, I see you've been corrupted as well. So apparently there are people who are starting to get hip to you know what's going on with uh what's going on with John Doe. I I got to ask a question though. Okay. Are you leaving out the obvious metaphor intentionally? Um I'm talking about a guy <laughs> uh-huh. about 33 years old. Okay. Uh showed people a better and a brighter future. Mm-hmm. I I am of course referring to Superman. Yeah, for Son of Krypton. Yeah. <laughs> Except yeah. when I'm not joking or referencing the Zack Snyder Superman movie. Um, I'm referring to Jesus. Uh, Spent Mm. most of his life in obscurity, suddenly realizes he is the way, the truth, and the life, uh, has healing powers, can raise the dead, is accepting of other people that are different than him, Mm -hmm. uh, disrupts everything, um, is hunted by, you know, his government. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you're you're skipping intentionally? How dare you, Ken Ray? How dare you? What do you mean? Accuse me of skipping that intentionally. Um, no, I, I really kind of struggled with that question and that idea. This is one of the rare, rare instances when I watched an episode, and um, I, I'm not going to spoil my my final thoughts on it, but okay. I was kind of ambivalent about it. And I thought, you know, maybe if I read some other comments that that people had, maybe that will not influence my take on it, but, but at least add some depth to my take on it. Mm-hmm. 
And a couple of places, not not overall, but a couple of places said, you know, oh, very interesting spiritual implications of this episode, where mm-hmm. the, this episode has this character and this stuff, but but there is a, a spiritual sense in the episode. And I thought, okay, that's I, I get the parallel. I, I get the idea of the the physical things that this character does, that he heals people, he's a threat to his government, he's different. Um, but then I kept coming back to this sort of central question, this idea that I was asking myself the similarities between John Doe and Jesus. Was it was it just the physical things? He can heal people. He's a threat to his government or the, the powers that be there. Um, he, he can bring Worf back to life. But were we at any point asked to accept him as a spiritual or religious leader? And that's the thing that I that I didn't see. And I'm not saying that, that the story is improved or suffers because of that. But I'm just saying that I think the maybe the similarities are only there in in the Superman sense. You know, again, the Superman, we're not asking of anybody that, that Superman is to be worshipped or have a religion built around. Not mm-hmm. that we might not see that in an upcoming Superman movie. Um, but when you're left at the very end of the episode and you've got John Doe on the bridge with Picard and with Beverly and with the others, it comes back to this sort of naturalistic, explainable thing. Here is a being. We know what evolution is. This is a a link, a step into the next stage of evolution for these people. And these are the properties that that step has. Those properties are that the physical being is different. Those properties are that, uh, at least as far as humans are concerned, he can heal. Um, and and that's that. We're, we're not asking anybody in the Enterprise to worship him or to or to... to to build a philosophy around him, even if you remove kind of the religious aspect of it. Yeah, except I don't think Jesus was asking people to worship him either. I think a lot of people have built a, re- a religion. I think a lot of people have built a lot of worship around Jesus. But Oh, and I, and I totally agree with you there. What, what I'm saying is, you know, when the episode ends, when, when we fade to black and we go away, I don't know that we're supposed to come away with it, the idea that either any of Sunad's people or... Anybody at the Enterprise is going, wow, that, that guy was incredible. I'm going to write down everything that he said mm-hmm. and turn that into a holy book. Oh, well, I mean, again, <laughs> again, I don't believe that that was Jesus' goal. I don't think he was looking for anybody to turn every word that he said into a holy book. I think he was trying to show people a different way to do stuff. Sure. Right. Sure. And, and, and that's I, and that's I'm what that, with you, yeah. that's what John Doe has said that he's going to do now. He's going to yeah. go back to his planet and do that. He's not trying to convert, you know, Picard. He's not trying to ver- convert Beverly. Although, you could argue that I think that the kind of conversion that he would be looking for from his own people is the kind of thing that the Enterprise is already doing. At its best, it's what we do. At its best, it's what the Federation does. They saw this thing that was different, and rather than wanting to, you know, kill it with a stick. <laughs> we said, hey, neat, you're doing this thing, and you're kind of cool, and thanks for, you know, saving that guy that you killed and stuff like that, right? right thanks for right. healing these people, and what's going on with you is really awesome. Yeah. And he says he's going to go go back and do that with his people. I mean, he offers – he does not smite Sunad. This is not centers at the hand of an angry god at this point. And he's sure. he's basically attained godlike powers among his people at this point as well. He does not then smite Sunad. He says, hey – 
you you want to be cool too? And Sunan <laughs> says, I don't want to be cool. And he's like, okay, well, fine. There are going to be other people who are going to want to be cool. And so I'm going to go talk to them. Yeah. And and, no. and I think, I think you know, forget the basilicas. Forget the, you know, meet at this time and dress this way and do this thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just, just, the, just the, hey, let's be groovy. I mean, the, the thing that, one of the things that, that uh, John Doe seemed most impressed by was the fact that, all of these different kinds of people were getting along and working together on the enterprise that, mm-hmm. that they weren't mm-hmm. being driven by their fear of you know the the other thing and that's that strikes me as if you'll give forgive my use of the terminology uh, the most groovy part of the Jesus stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> is like hey you know what you should do love people oh, yeah okay interesting let me no, write I, that down I, I do I, I do get it. I mean, believe me, I really understand and I, I, I get what you're saying. I grok where you're going with this, yeah. man. I really do. Okay. I, I just – I also think that it, it is impossible or darn near impossible to extract the Jesus story from the religion that has built around. I mean, you were talking about one of the major religions for the last couple millennia yeah. on on Earth. So what was more interesting to me was that at the very end of the episode, I love Picard's line, we're privileged to have been present at the emergence of a new species. Because that's a pretty great Star Trek thing to say, and and I'm glad we've got that in there. Not Picard getting down on his knees saying, you're you're the son of god or or whatever the case may be but but wow this is what we do we go out and we seek and we explore and we find new things and we treat those new things respectfully yeah. and and thank you for your time here and that's really it that that's really the end of it now what are the implications for the rest of the people from Jondo's planet for Sunad you know you would think that if more people are turning into this and you know, okay. If you want to bring it back to the uh, to the Jesus story, are are more people able to be kind to each other, to not want to propagate a what is apparently a totalitarian government? You mm-hmm. know, all these all these negative aspects of that. Then then great. But are they also going to turn into energy beings that have the ability to heal and uh, fly around in space? You know, that is the implication according to John Doe's story of what will happen to others on that planet, that, that this is an inevitable step for them. Yeah. You know, that, that is not something that we expect out of people on the Enterprise. Well, this will likely really upset people, but I guess I'm kind of okay with it. I always, I always sort of assume that, that in, the, in, the, in the theology that includes uh, Jesus, mm-hmm. that, that Jesus was allegory. And I don't mean mm-hmm. he was an allegory. Maybe he was a guy, maybe he wasn't. I, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I'm not, whatever. But I always sort of assume that that Jesus was like an allegory. That, that God sent Jesus to say, you know, all right, look, if I were going to be one of you guys, this is how I'd do it. Yeah. All right, be nice to people, feed people, don't be a jerk, you know, right, <laughs> that kind of right. thing. Do good when you can. Yeah, know that you're not going to be able to save the entire planet because I think that's what Jesus meant when he said there will always be poor. I mean, right. I, 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 you know, I, it, it struck me as allegory. And so yeah, then, what do you say? Well, is he going to be able to fly around and do all this stuff? Well. I mean, there is no John Doe. <laughs> so I think that's allegory, too. The question is, are you going to be governed by fear or are you going to rise above? I mean, right. that's, that's really what John Doe comes down to to me. And, you know, even if, even if it's difficult to separate uh, the buildings and the clothing and, and, and all the bad things that might have come uh, uh, around Christianity, um, 
that good stuff is still there. And ultimately, I think that's that's what it was supposed to be originally, mm-hmm. um, uh, leaving off uh, what it became. Yeah, no, I I, I get that. I, I I I don't disagree with any of the ideas here, and I don't disagree with the idea of there being this this parallel. Mm-hmm. to John Doe's story and and at least some some influence some idea there from from the Jesus story. I just think that you know again because this is removing things quite a bit and saying this is the 24th century experience from our point of view we see this thing happen. And yeah, there are parallel parallels there, but to Picard and to the crew of the Enterprise which is representative of us, what we get out of that is say Wow, we're we're seeing another step in evolution, and hopefully, for these people that apparently have got a, a pretty terrible life at home on that planet, um, maybe a step forward in their political and and social evolution as well. So I think all of that is is valuable, um, and I guess maybe we'll we'll come back to this in our uh, in our wrap up. I don't think there is necessarily a spiritual message there. But I think that the, the the parallel of the story is valuable for what's going on for this particular character. I do have one other question. Hmm. What happens to John Doe next? You know, does he encounter Q? Because we've got another group of beings with godlike powers that can exist in a corporeal or non-corporeal state. Is that a good or a bad interchange? And, and what about Trelane's parents or any of the other non-corporeal, super powerful, godlike aliens we've met? Apparently, the galaxy is just teeming with them, and now we've just introduced another one to that group. Yeah, I have to, I have to go back to something I said a minute ago. <laughs> okay, uh, you know, there's no John Doe, right? Oh, you're ruining it for me, Ken. <laughs> After that last segment, am I the only one with the song by the band The Enemy playing through their memory circuits? Well, I'm disappointed in the lack of magic tricks, John, I'll be honest. Oh, sure, we saw plenty in the show, in the episode that we're talking about, but in our episode, uh, decidedly few. Although, again, it is audio. I guess I could have told people, I've been doing magic tricks the whole time. Yeah, I bet. But now we do one of the things that we do uh, in every episode. Uh, we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode and whether or not we feel the episode holds up. I put it to you, John. Transfigurations. Does this episode hold up? I, I think it's okay. I, I don't think it's an amazing episode. I don't think it's among the greatest of episodes, but but I think it's okay. Um, I'll tell you that I was not invested in the idea of John Doe not knowing who he was. Hmm. I thought that was just sort of... Uh, just sort of uh, a writer trick to say we're going to hold off any kind of reveal until the end. And I wasn't too concerned about his healing abilities, which run from spinal cord repair to making Jordy not a loser, which is apparently something you can heal. Um, <laughs> I, I was very interested in the implications of prejudice and discrimination on his home world. And we only get a little taste of that at the end. And, and it seems like too little, too late almost. If this had been Kirk in Let This Be Your Last Battlefield, then we would have seen John Doe and Sunad <laughs> chase each other around for 20 minutes while stuff blows up. I, I have to I have to do one thing. Yeah. Let that be your last oh, battlefield. Oh, that, that'll 
maybe that should be another shirt as I'll that'll always be a thing I'm sorry I didn't always not, be a thing di- sorry to interrupt your your flow there but. no I'll get a new shirt it'll be the word this crossed out with that <laughs> written over it that'll be, that'll be good um I feel like this is one of those stories that almost would have worked better as a novel. We've talked about some of those before where you, you sort of dig deep into a character. But you'd have to change up the pacing and the plot points. And I feel like those are the only negatives in, in the way this is done as a production. John Doe is an interesting guy and played very well here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not sure that the story as scripted really works as well as it could have. But... Something not working as well as it could have is maybe a, a minor complaint here. Overall, like I said, it's it, it's all right. And maybe in a different season, this would have played as a much, much stronger episode than it is. Hmm. Uh, what about you? I, well, I mean, I think the episode holds up mostly because of the messages, mm-hmm. or mostly because of the meaning, um, and that it tells people to not be afraid of uh, the other whatever the other is. And, and it does that in a way that says, um, Christ used to be the other. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that like Christ was an indi- uh, a disruptive individual. And that all you people who hate or fear other people because they're not Christian, uh, you used to be the thing that people hated and feared. And mm-hmm. you're doing such a good job of hating and fearing that you're sort of circling back around on that whole thing, uh, becoming the thing that's hated and feared by some people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a cool thing about this episode, though, I think. Uh, another cool thing about it is it gives you a chance to see all of the others as something that should be included, um, something that we should value and learn from. And this is from Jordy being a better person because he acted selflessly uh, to our Jesus stand-in in this episode, saying how you know neat it is that all these different people can work together. Um, my thought that was that this episode stood in praise of the other and of change. Um, whatever that change is. And, and and this applies to all others. I mean, yes, we're talking about Jesus here, but really what we're talking about is anything that's disruptive. He was this guy who had this thing happening to him, and everybody said, well, that's evil and that's wrong, and it's a disease, right? Mm-hmm. Homosexuals used to be and still are seen by some people as a danger and an abomination. Um, people of other races used to be and still are seen by some as a, as a danger and an abomination. New or different ideas about spirituality or about government used to be and still are seen by some as a danger and an abomination. Um, same as Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and, and so to me, I mean, this episode is slow and it's plotting. <laughs> And 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 the message um, more than makes up for that, as far as I'm concerned. So I mean, it way holds up to me, and yet it's not the most enjoyable episode. I think it's I think it's I think it's important messages, and I think it's it's really worth watching. It's more than worth watching. It again, it's one of those that it feels to me should be required viewing for some, uh, or maybe required viewing for all, so that we're not separating out. Um, most exciting episode? No, not by a long shot. Uh, but but kind of an important episode, I think. Yeah, I, I think I kind of come down on the same camp as you with the messages because I, you know, the more I picked it apart, I said to myself, well, is there a message to helping an injured stranger? Well, hmm. not really. That, that's not really what this is about. Is there a message about him helping us? Well, well, again, not really. That's not the the important part of the show. But the ending made me think of recent political controversies which have been couched in the same question, which is what side of history will you be on? You know, you you 
said exactly that, you know, we've had politics about race and about sexual orientation and slowly but surely there there is this drive toward a more accepting and more uh, diverse political and social landscape. Um, that's what made me think of uh, Sunad, uh, Sunad, since we can only imply that his reactions uh, that, that his people have just vehemently opposed any kind of change or any kind of new reality for their people. So, you know, I, I think that message is there about, uh, about uh, acceptance. And, and that's also why I thought about let that be your last battle. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask a question, though, really quickly. You say that yeah. Sunad's people are vehemently opposed to change. I mean, do you do you think that it's Sunad's people? I mean, do you think it's the Zulkans or who are opposed to change, or do you think it's just the power structure that's afraid of change? Because well, it sounds either- like it sounds like they're telling people. It sounds like they know ahead of other people what's going on with John yeah. Doe, and 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 people like him, and so they're just spreading lies. They're saying, yeah, this is a yeah. disease, this is evil, this is going to be harmful to everyone. Yeah, yeah, you may have heard that he can heal people. Yeah, you may have heard he can raise the dead. But really, it's bad, so we're just gonna, we need to kill him. Mm. I mean, do you think it's the people, or do you think it's the power structure that's protecting the power structure? That's an interesting question. I think either way, you know, the, the story could work either way. Um, well, the story could work either way, except it's yeah. a very different story. If it's all the people wanting to kill John Doe, then he's just a martyr. Yeah. He's under I mean, the impression that he's going to go back and that, I mean, that there are people waiting for his message now. If he's right. just going to go back to die, he might as well let Sunad kill him or Sunad or however we're pronouncing it. I can't remember anymore. Right. He might as well just let them kill him, right? right. He's right. under the impression that he's going to be able to lead his people to something higher and not through worship of him, but through emulation. I mean, by, by, by being like him. Basically, yeah. they're going to be. He's going to be able to elevate his entire society. I don't get the sense that everybody is waiting for him to come back so they can stone him. No, no. But I mean, all, all that we're given about the Sulkins is um, what we have on that ship, and what we have on that ship is wholly represented by Sinat. So, I, it, you know, if he is representative of that power structure, then sure. You know, we we can just say that that it is that power structure that's in place, and uh, but maybe John Doe knows something, which is that there are plenty of other people on his planet who are in the same process that he is. And uh, well, he actually did say, um, "You won't be able." And now that you can't stop me, other people will follow. Yeah. So I mean, we're we're, we're given to understand stuff about their society from both sides, not just from right. the one. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It'll it'll happen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right and does all that hold up yeah yeah i i sure <laughs> absolutely <laughs> what about you yeah i mean I, well i mean again if we're boiling what john doe is down to saying be better be accepting of others and other people will follow that eventually i i, I mean i sure hope that's the case i mean mm-hmm. a lot of times the headlines that we read today, as you and I record this, don't necessarily make you think so. But yeah, I'd like to think so. I mean, if you talk about world religions. Most of them are not based on hit the other with a stick. Most of them are based on, hey, wouldn't it be groovy if? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would hope that whether you want to include a religious aspect to that or not, I would hope that we could come to a place where we could just say, hey, wouldn't it be groovy if? Without somebody else yelling, hippie! You know, so, yeah, if that's ultimately what the message is, then yes, I would say ultimately the message stands. I just, you know, hope it gets to. Excellent. 
Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. For more, please visit Roddenberry.com. A whole lot of information for you there, including the Roddenberry Foundation, more Roddenberry Entertainment projects, and a great shop. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. I'm completely fishmullied here. It seems like just yesterday we were saying goodbye to Dr. Catherine Pulaski. Mm-hmm. Next week, we say goodbye to season three of Next Gen with the best of both worlds. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com. While John Doe may ride a UFO, I am fairly certain he did not build my hot rod. And transmission.